Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, Chief Financial Officer of the Emerson Collective, and this is the FedScoop Radio Network. And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. Danny, uh, very excited to be back in the, this episode of Gov Actually. We have um, not just a, a, a brilliant public servant, but actually a really close friend. Nani Coloretti. Nani Coloretti, yes. Right. We're calling in reinforcements because we're trying to make, sh- make sure the show is as current as possible. Well, we got the currency issue, but you know we've, we've heard through the grapevine that there might be an energy lo- issue. Yeah. Well, yes. Our, our, and our, our last podcast on tax reform, which was timely. Apparently it was not very energetic. So the most energetic public servant I know is, is Nani Colorado. Yes. I think she's going to be able to keep up with our witty. She's being awfully quiet, our, right? Witty, right? Am I supposed party. to talk now? I don't, I don't I, just, are you supposed I'm, to do something energetic? All right, I, yeah. Yes, okay. definitely Jazz bring hands. the energy. Okay. <laughs> well, let's do an appropriate. <laughs> Jazz hands. I like that. We should do an appropriate intro. Well, first of all, let's make the point. That today's podcast, we want to focus on the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, CFPB. Right. Also the place with uh, two directors. Right. Well, <laughs> not anymore, because I think the court has ruled on that. Right. But for when you and I talked to each other and said, hey, let's do our next po- podcast on CFPB, at that moment, yes. there were two directors. And I was only imagining what a day in the life of an employee there was like. Yeah. I've got a meeting with the director. Which one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but Nani, uh, in addition to being uh, currently at the Urban Institute, recently, just before that, the Deputy Secretary of HUD, before that, the CFO of Treasury, where she was that held that position when I was at the IRS, which mm-hmm. was cool to work with her. And then prior to that, CFPB, uh, where you were there at the creation and yeah. launch of CFPB. Yeah. So why don't we start with just kind of a one-on-one. I, I have to go of, further back in uh, history <laughs> because she Dan came over. Dan has known over, me for a long time. She came over to CFPB. She was the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Management and Budget at Treasury when I was the CFO. But she had come from San Francisco, where, among other jobs, she'd been the budget director. And she had gotten there through a long, tortured uh, path uh, from OMB, where we met. We were presidential management interns together at OMB. Back in the day. I'll do you one further. I'll go even further back (laughs) when she hosted a radio show at the University of Pennsylvania. Oh, my God. Were you a listener? An alternative dance radio program in the midnight to 2 a.m. shift, right? Yes, that was my show. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. why she's here today, is to give us some tips. We're going to uh, do some the, music. The Smiths, <laughs> we're going to argue the Smiths versus the Cure. Yeah, that's yeah, I think do. we can do that. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think they're mutually exclusive, but anyway. All right, let's talk about, let's, let's talk about CFPB and defer the Smiths versus Cure for okay. a different podcast. That would probably be a more popular podcast. It probably would get us more clicks, but that's okay. I just want to point out that all of us started our federal service at OMB. Well, that, I don't know what that's about, but you that's know. true of like eighty percent of the guests on. Really? Go, go okay. Back, so. All right. So you have an OMB bias. It's fine. Yes, it's but we usually like to talk to people who have who have spread their wings beyond OMB as well. And I'd like to substitute the word foundation for bias. <laughs> 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 OMB foundation. Got it. There you go. All right. 
So tell us about what do you CFPB. Know? Why why is it ex- it didn't exist before Dodd Frank? Correct. Correct. What happened? Why does it exist? What is it supposed to do? And what are some of the tensions that exist yeah. around its mission and its purpose? Sure. So it uh, it came out of uh, now Senator Elizabeth Warren's uh, head. She uh, wrote this article some time ago, 2007, before the financial crisis really hit. Um, and she suggested that it would be a good idea to have an agency that protects, that sort of uh, helps clarify and protects consumers of financial products. We have one of these uh, for toasters, uh, the Consumer <laughs> the consumer Product Safety, Safety Commission. Commission. Thank you. Yeah, sure. And so, uh, you know, sure the quote. To make sure the toaster doesn't explode. That's the money quote, to make sure that your toaster doesn't explode. Oh, I didn't even you know actually, that. That actually is true. It's okay. already in your head. And wow. she was saying there are these financial products out there that are going to explode Exploding one day soon. Toasters. Yeah, exploding toasters that your mortgage could explode on you, and you may not, you may not know that that was going to happen because you were lied to. Um, she did a whole bunch of research on bankruptcy. So she kind of had in her head that there were a lot of adjustable rate mortgages with balloon payments yeah. that were in the... And just practices that were not consumer friendly. But, but wasn't the Federal Trade Commission, the the Federal Reserve, the National Credit Union Association, yes. the... Yes. So the challenge, yes, Dan FDIC. is... FDIC. Good had, memory. All e- had involvement. Everybody in had a piece of consumer protection. Uh, a lot of bank regulators, Dan was just going down the list, you know, the Federal Reserve, the OCC, you know, the Office of Cultural Currency, keep going. There were basically laws, uh, pieces of laws at seven different agencies, um, uh, but none of them, for none of them, was protecting the consumer their main their main gig. So um, year, a year later, the financial crisis happened, and her idea gained a lot of traction um, and basically got put in the bill for Dodd-Frank. The Dodd-Frank bill. Yeah. Okay. At the time that the Dodd-Frank Act was being created, Dan and I were at Treasury. And somebody stopped, Dan actually knows a lot more about this than me. Somebody stopped by his office one day. This is actually even before I started working on this thing. And said, hey, we're looking at, you know, providing technical assistance, which is what a lot of agencies do, right, for the Hill. Um, helping them figure out how big an agency like this would be. And explain to Dan what this thing was. Um, like, you know, how many people would be there? How would you even estimate that? And so Dan uh, wisely uh, offered our help. So a little... A small team of us um, actually worked with consultant, built a model uh, to kind of try to understand how big would this thing be. And the notion was that you would transfer staff from six different federal agencies and laws from seven different agencies to kind of create this new agency that became the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So we we were early on in um, the drafting of Dodd-Frank helping just understand the budget size and scope and what it would take. The bigger than a bread box. It's uh, funny thing that you go with the toaster right. analogy. Well, you're yeah. emphasizing size over mission. Well, no, well, it, we, it was it, totally connected. It was yeah. Okay. There was sliders like depending on how much of this kind of mission or that kind of mission. We actually started with a mission. We started yeah. with what is the thing going to do, right? And, and we, so yeah, we had models from the state, if I remember correctly. We there did state models that we used, so. and some were small and some were bigger. So yeah. what does it do? Well, it, uh, so I was like, I better bring some like information because I worked on this in 2010. So it was like quite some time, 2010, 2011. Um, so basically it has a lot of authorities and its authority is to sort of implement and enforce federal consumer financial law consistently. 
It's to make sure that all consumers have access to markets for financial products and services and that these markets are fair, transparent, and competitive. So a financial product is, we mentioned a mortgage. Would mm-hmm. it also be a credit card? Pay, yes, payday lending, student loans. Uh, some of the areas they've got into just your regular old bank. You yep. know, yeah, your checking account, like those, anything. Where there's stuff in the fine print yes. that you might not realize you're signing up Correct. for. Correct. You want to be, the, 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 they, the CFPB kind of helps make sure, is intended to make sure that you have that awareness. That the market is fair. And, and accountable. Okay. Yeah, and transparent. A great example early on, uh, one of the areas of predatory practices that the CFPB focused on enforcement around was uh, uh, loans to military members. That's so right. So the car loans in particular, there are these... Well, car auto loans, just to be clear, are, are carved out mm. of uh, CFPB. That's how the, the law finally got passed. So just to stop oh, you right there. But right. there were other predatory lending practices, though, right off, off basis, even with payday loan shops right. and so forth. And they did start with... Uh, um, uh, people in the military kind of effort. They have a whole office on that and outreach. But, but also it was outreach and education as well, letting mm-hmm. people, it didn't have to just be enforcement. It didn't have to just be, you know, um, investigations. It was also, you know, financial literacy, which is a, a big issue. That's right. The main areas are, um, you know, kind of areas of the of CFPB and then how they got organized are um, sort of enforcement, uh, bank and, uh, they call it bank supervision and non-bank supervision. Okay, so because CFPB covers anything right. except auto loans. Um, uh, consumer response, which is basically a consumer response, uh, a way for consumers to say, uh, either dial in or go on the web and say, hey, something's wrong here. I have this thing and can report in um, sort of problems that they're having. Um, fair lending um, is one of the areas. Uh, and they also take a... Um, from the beginning, a research database approach. So they have a pretty decent uh, uh, research shop that looks at data trends. Because, you know, the, the argument was, did we know that the mortgage market was going to blow up and take down the whole economy? What were the signs? And did we have that data? Some say we did, some say we didn't. There are other parts of Dodd-Frank so that are trying like to deal with learning it. learning from history. Learning from data, yeah. Okay. Because it can show you where... Uh, markets are growing, uh, and 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 if you have that aligned with your consumer response, you know your kind of you know complaint hotline uh, information, you might be able to go check some stuff out. Although wasn't the Office of Financial Research OFR mm-hmm. kind of stood up entirely to be around? Entirely. Data. So well, there so were a number of entities that came out of the Dodd Frank, none though more controversial than CFPB. Well, let's make. I'm glad you said the word yeah. controversial. Let make the case against CFP. I mean, there's a lot of of tension in terms of this organization. Should it exist, um, or should it should it have the the broadness of powers that it does? Yes. What's the argument on the other side? What are some of the concerns that have been surfaced? The concerns since day one have been that this was a regulator that did not have the same kind of structure that other regulators had. It does not have a board. It has one director. That is so actually B one doesn't of the key... stand for board. It stands for bureau. Bureau. Right. That's right. And, you know, uh, you know, the Office of Comptroller of Currency, some of the other bank regulators, FDIC, they have like a commission, you know, or like a board or like a set of people that are, some of them are Republican, some of them are Democrat, and they sort of yep. govern, their governance of CFPB is different from any other uh, of the Although bank regulators. Although Office of Comptroller of Currency actually is the one example. Oh, it doesn't. Sorry. <laughs> See, look at you're right here. But no, no, you know, for some okay. reason, they're okay with that one. No, I, they, they are because OCC doesn't 
isn't in a position where they're you know their 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 regulatory work comes at you know just doing bank investigations and then and then post shutdown. But they're also right, appropriated. That's the, that's the kind right. of thing. No, they're not actually. Oh, okay. So See? The, Interesting. the OCC was actually the model for CFPB. And what's funny is, this is great. as they as they point at the CFPB and say, boy, that thing is really organized this very bizarre way. You know, the OCC yeah. is just kind of sitting in the corner Quiet. whistling. Trying <laughs> to, yeah, and trying don't forget, the OCC ate the Office of Thrift Supervision. Right. So it got bigger recently right. so and then um, they moved into the buildings so that's right it's all the, uh, it's all about yeah the, it's all about your ops too on the yeah, other right. side of it but so that so the two so the things that people complain about are you know you've got this one director no board overseeing it right and also i think they have like a like with the irs commissioner i think they get appointed and have a, a time a timeline that spans yeah. okay, okay they have a tenure uh which occ i think also has yes okay so uh they, they didn't like that though and then they also didn't like it that cfeb was not appropriated and you might remember this from when you were at OMB, maybe sort of in the recesses of your of your memory. But basically, I, rem- I remember everything. What CFPB does is they get their money from the Fed. They basically go to the Federal Reserve and say, "I need three hundred million dollars," and the Federal Reserve's like, "Here's a check." Yeah, I didn't remember that. Actually. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> a, it's, it's, a, it's a little fascinating. It's, it's even a little more complicated than that. So what happens is the Federal Reserve, actually, in exchange for the ability to manage currency has to return to the federal government the the spread between the amount of money it costs to run the federal reserve and the the value of the currency mm-hmm. it's called seniorage and so what happened is that um cfpb was actually put in the middle of that transaction right. so there was the fed expenditure plus the cfp expenditure mm-hmm. was subtracted from the number oh, that okay. became seniorage as a way to avoid scoring as well Nice. That is like well, deep ops right there. Yeah, well, that's interesting. But you didn't mention uh, two things that I always think of when I think of CFPB. One is regulation, and two is kind of is the data collection too invasive that they like. In, in other oh, words, people like said I, that. Oh, yeah. I remember this controversy over oh. consumer Just data. They decided that they were going to freeze the CFPB database because it's there's too much of it. That the argument being mm. that well, it's a, yeah. it's a it's a target uh, for potential hacking. Or for government misuse, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's there's well, always there's a, with with data there's always this tension of, um, of of the kind of on one side the kind of the big brother. El- I think there's three actually tensions. It's the the big brother element is concerned mm-hmm. like the, the government shouldn't know too much about you. The second is is can the government really protect your data? Right. And and we've seen you know the answer not, might be no. Might, might sure. be no, especially in the modern age with hacking and other things, cyber. But the third positive tension is is that the, the tugging against that is that with that data, a lot of important and smarter decisions may be able to be made on the direction the government yeah. goes and things I like that. I want to say a fourth thing, though, too. I mean, there are protections in place, and by that I mean sort of laws and privacy considerations for the data you give government that do not exist in the private sector at all. Yeah. At all. So remember what CFPB is there to do, right? Your credit card company has quite a bit of data on you, including everywhere you go. 
right? CPBs not have that kind of data on you, right? Yeah. So, I just, and there are not there are not public laws really protecting that data, and then quite frankly, there are not cyber protections that are more superpower like than other ones that government can come yes. up with. So, so when people complain, I understand. I mean, look, it's it's this notion that government is you know you know too big and and may have nefarious things going on, but but on the flip side of it, your protections on your privacy are only for government. Uh, so. And, and those it, exist for safety. Isn't it, I, it, it, there's a certain irony because it was Equifax that had the giant, you know, perhaps one of the biggest data breaches related to personal financial data. Right. And they're technically regulated by the CFPB, correct? Well, uh, for certain consumer products, I would say they could be regulated by the CPB. This is the other thing about the CPB. It does have broad powers, but it has to identify the authority uh, that it's going to use. To, to regulate or to enforce, it's not it's not overly broad. You know what I mean in that way. Well, some would say that it is. That's another complaint: is that they have these broad powers and you can do anything. But uh, so um, so it's not really regulated by uh, Equifax in their ops. It's probably not regulated by CFPB in that same manner. Um, so here's a question: yeah. if if there's no board, mm-hmm. um, who does the head of CFPB report to? Because it's 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 not really an organization. It's not a treasury organization. Nope. Like I think OCC is it's technically in the treasury family, right? Isn't it? Because that's why it was called the bureau. It's a bureau of the Fed, but the Federal Reserve as an entity also has you know strange wiring that I'm not entirely. I'm pretty confident that it's not. It's technically not a bureau. It was, let me just it say it was under treasury. The Fed is not a federal agency. Amen, brother. I think so. Whoever wrote this law was like super smart. But so like. <laughs> I think we know who that was. I, I look at it was under Treasury's umbrella for yeah. a year, which is why I got sent over there. I was mm. already I was still working at Treasury when I was at CFPB. You're right. They're an independent agency. They're, then they became independent right. at, at like the a, year they're mark. Like an SEC or an FDIC. That's right. Except when you say that, then those are all commissions, and that's, right. that's what makes them different. So look, if they were OCC a, under Treasury then maybe they would say, if they were like OCC under Treasury, then maybe yeah. the argument would be a little harder to make. Right. Since they're sitting out there all on their And that own. accountability is their OCC to Treasury. So ultimately, the, the head of CFPB reports to the president, based yeah. on what we're And his Senate confirmed. And his Senate confirmed. Right? Yeah. So it's not like they just like fly in from outer space and drop in and start running I think that's, that's, that's a really interesting question or issue that I, that I saw when I was in government, which is there are certain agencies that it's very the line of authority is very clear because they're large they're in the cabinet and there's kind of an ongoing connection between the president or the white house chief of staff sometimes the director of omb with that organization Mm -hmm. because it's just it's it they come to cabinet meetings and they're front and center and then there's a variety of different agencies out there that aren't in the cabinet don't come to cabinet meetings are not Mm -hmm. necessarily on the day-to-day radar screen of the president um, you could argue the administrator of GSA fits into that. The head of OPM fits mm-hmm. into that. Um, and then the question is, is and you sh- you can answer this, Dan. Like, as the administrator of GSA, and you're off running the ship, and you know you don't have a direct line to the president, um, who are you calling to confirm that the actions that you're taking are in line? with the president since that technically is the boss of GSA. Yeah, I think that's like this first ring of agencies, the GSAs, the OPMs. You know this from being DDM, um, Deputy Director of Management at OMB, that oftentimes 
the DDM called me. job was you called the, me. Yeah. was the um, was the was the one phone that got picked up when the GSA administrator and, was calling and the, and the toward tr- sixteen hundred Pennsylvania. Yeah. Avenue. And that was true of OPM too. Although I, I, I had a great they me relationship within the West Wing, and there were deputy chiefs of staff, but it was very complicated. But you get someone like the Securities and Exchange Commission chairperson, who technically, you know. Report, they're in the executive branch, so mm. they report to the president, but they're not going to call OMB. They're not calling because there's because a well, that's, quote unquote independent. I think that's where the CFPB they gets really interesting. For CFPB. Because CFPB mm-hmm. is one of these organizations that's you know out of the. They're not in the cabinet meetings. They're 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 not in that innermost concentric circle of executive branch agencies. So they have this leader, but different from GSA and OPM where there's no independence, mm-hmm. and the reality is is that the GSA, head of GSA and head of OPM, have to figure out strategically, whether it's through the deputy director of OMB, the director of OMB, um, whoever's running White House Cabinet Affairs at the moment, there's different ways in which you can plug in. But if you're the CFPB, you don't want to plug in because well, you, you, th- you view yourself as independent, let potentially. Me just, let or me, the FDIC. Well, let me just or... say one quick thing about places like CFPB, FDIC, and others. Don't forget that they're still part of the federal government, right? So, and what I mean by that, and this is where ops comes in to, to play. Ops, operations. Operations. Right? Okay, just trying to. Uh, you still have to follow. Actually, it really is. Um, you still have to follow the CFO Act. You still have to do procurement according to the federal acquisition regulations. You still have to follow Title V, you know, that, uh, you know, kind of governs all personnel. So there isn't. Uh, it's not like it is quite the free-floating thing that you're saying in terms of, of how you manage and operate your, you know, yourself. I think what, what the issue is and what you're getting to is the independence, the authority, the governance, um, which for a, a regulator such as this, Congress decided they wanted that independence. They didn't want to have um, – they were they feared regulatory capture, which is a you know, term that means that like you – you know, bank regulator gets really close to the bank and then doesn't anymore regulate it, and then we have a crisis. So there are like policy reasons to have that kind of governance independence. I would argue, just in the stand-up of it alone, we were still navigating the same kinds of operational sort of requirements, you know, limitations, rules that that everybody does. Yeah, and 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 you know, as we kind of head into a break, and we're going to come out of that break. I, you know, the point I was trying to get to was. What is the tension and quote-unquote controversy around this organization? I think we've talked a lot about it, but I think what's really interesting is part of it is that it is an organization that has a leadership that does not necessarily tie directly as other agencies into the executive branch leadership and is very powerful based on what we describe in terms of regulation and data collection and impact on you know one of the largest industries in our economy. Um, and and has a bit of an independent streak, and so therefore, you know, when you have questions about the leadership, it's going to raise these types of controversies, and that leads us to where we saw the most recent controversy, which is who runs the organization, and does the president have the right to direct in real time the leader of that organization, or is the organization independent enough? that it can essentially appoint its own leader uh, through succession. Um, and that was the controversy that, that, that the organization confronted um, uh, recently. And why don't, after the break, we dive into that? Yeah, no, there's a lot there. All excited about it. So we should take a break and rest up so we can dive in. Sounds good. <laughs> 
GovActually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop Radio Network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop, as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop. GovActually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact. Okay, we're back. We took a quick nap so that we can be in, uh, in, in good shape for the next half uh, so we can dive into to even more interesting conversation the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So Danny kind of set it up with um, uh, this kind of notion of how does the CFPB relate to the president? How does that create controversy? And then we found, you know, right away uh, in the, you know, early into the Trump administration that that controversy uh, manifested itself. Yeah, because what, as I mentioned right before the break, the, the tension emerged in, in, in explicit detail and in real life that the president uh, and the White House said, we have the authority. You're not as independent as you think. We have the authority to tell you who the next leader is um, immediately versus nominating someone that goes to the Senate confirmation well, process. I think it wasn't entirely so immediate. Too, right. I think it's actually interesting. Now, either they weren't paying attention and therefore didn't prioritize it or they were being deferential to the fact that there was an appointment. But Richard Cordray, in a way, started the fight by mm-hmm. resigning before the end of his term. Right. And, 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 and appointing a deputy director that yeah. he named as the acting director. I mean. Right. So right. he basically, he made the decision because, yes, and I think most organizations operate this way, that they have a standard operating procedure both in law and in their manual that when the director or the head of the organization or the secretary le- in some secretary instances leaves yeah. whether they leave because they resign they leave because they were they're Ill. they're, they're yeah. ill whatever it happens to be who takes over and it defaults typically to the deputy uh, or some or some position that's like that um, and certainly that was intended to, to take place but what he did was he essentially appointed someone who was serving as his chief of staff mm-hmm. into the deputy role, and by doing that, essentially selected his successor, which could have been fine. And in, in, in other circumstances, in other realities, there might not have been a hiccup to it, and, and the executive branch, the president of the White House could have said, okay, that's fine, but we are now, we're going to now nominate someone. But they didn't just nominate someone. No, in they're this using case, the Federal Vacancies Act, yeah, right? This, so this is where we get into yeah. like the details so of the thing. So maybe Richard's point, what he did was aggressive. The response was to meet aggress- aggression with aggression in a mm-hmm. way. Well, right, because there's there's a lot of different scenarios that could have played out. One was that that um, Leandra English could have just, who was this chief of staff who was chosen to be the deputy, could have stayed in that acting role. The president could have nominated someone who would get Senate confirmed. And on That's the right. day they that Senate confirmed appointee uh, was sworn in, uh, Leandra's no longer the director. That's what's that's, called that's, regular that's, order. That's regular order. But sometimes, and Dan, you and I have have you both guys have been experience directly with this. in this. Yeah. Sometimes, when the leader steps down, either through resignation, and in both our cases, it was because of resignation the deputy does not get automatically moved up. The president steps in 
and uh, name someone else. Who has also the, already been Senate confirmed. Right. That's okay, the, that's the under, key. Under the vacancies. Yes. Act, right. And so I was, I was mentioning before we started taping that I have on my wall at home a document signed by President Obama that, that directs me to serve as the... Serve the functions and the yeah. duties of the of the Commissioner of Internal Revenue. Mm-hmm. It was they chose not to go with the deputy, and so for me, when I saw this this kind of legal case emerge, I said, unless I'm missing something, there's plenty of precedent for the president to select some other Senate confirmed appointee under the Vacancies Act mm-hmm. to fill that position. The only issue in my mind was maybe there's something about CFPB yeah. that's uniquely independent that wouldn't allow the president there, to do that. There was, and this was the nature of the argument that... Um, they took to court. They took to court. Or they're taking to court, continuing to take to court. Right. Yeah. Was that there was language in the CFPB law that actually um, required the deputy to rise to the position until such time as a new person. A was new there. person was confirmed for that right. job. Okay. Which is maybe different than And so the um, argument was that law was passed uh, after the Vacancy Act and therefore superseded the Vacancy Act and the Vacancy Act didn't contemplate the CFPB because it didn't exist at the time. Okay. However, uh, and it's, you know, neither here nor there, although maybe it is depending It is on actually here view, and there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that it was a Trump appointed uh, judge who actually made the ruling. Oh, uh, so uh, the ruling on the on on the temporary restraining order, yeah. just the uh, immediate. Yeah. So I assume uh, that the judge just felt like there wasn't enough no, for the threshold I, of a or, TRO. Or the judge because, felt like that that this is an important presidential power to preserve. Yeah, and again, mm-hmm. this is a, this is a good kind of legal debate because the Vacancies Act is pretty clear in its empowerment of the president to do this, and the the Vacancy Act was used for both. No, your, yeah, I know we're, your we're, appointment we're, and my appointment. Both are, you know, I don't know, beneficiaries. Of the I Vacancy know. Act. I don't, yeah, I don't know if I use that word. <laughs> but uh, I I also think there's this big question. There's a, a bigger question that's being fought out over the last two hundred plus years of our of our democratic experiment experiment around the unitary executive so it gets to the whether the president gets to a point you know direct who's in charge of these agencies what role the congress has in confirming them and then it gets this issue of this whole notion of these independent agencies which is a very interesting constitutional gray area can you have agencies with executive authority who don't report to the president and that's what you have in in some manner of speaking, in the of these you know these independent agencies, yeah, and that's a little bit that that that's a head scratcher for me to think about a public sector organization with a leader that has authorities to use the powers of government to impact outcomes for people for organizations that doesn't report up to mm-hmm. any anybody. It seems to me that it would that that it would have to report up to an ultimate accountable official, which would be the president. And this became an issue in the global financial crisis when it be, when it became viewed that um, financial institutions were not only um, benefiting from regulatory capture, but were actually engaged in something called um, regulatory shopping. They were mm-hmm. looking for the less lenient regulator to be their bank regulator to be there to right. be there and uh, yeah. uh, you know and then the there's fees that the regulators actually collect from their 
um, regulatees regulatees <laughs> that determine because they're non-appropriated determine their their whether they get to exist or not. And uh-huh. so they were moving. So some would say, "Hey, we're having a sale on easier regulatees. We're e- cheaper e- and more lenient. Come to us." Well, here's, the, here's here's the the philosophical question about someone who's running an organization still exist, Dan. who claims to be independent, which is who fires them. Right. So ultimately, if they screw up badly, um, it's not like they well, get so to like stay. The right. IRS so IRS commissioner, right? So uh, look, it, I'm not in any way suggesting the IRS commissioner has the same, you know, authority controversy. Yeah. But like that is also an appointment, a Senate confirmation that IRS, spans. That's not a very uh, controversial job. Not at all. At all. But <laughs> remember all the but impeach, it's very the clear impeach that, so that they could yes, fire. Right? But it's very clear that the president has the authority to fire the IRS commissioner. I think that's yeah. clear. Yeah. And um, The FBI director? Yeah, though that's... It may that, not be wise, but you can. But there's... No, no, but the authority right. is there. It's there. It's but, but who... Yeah. But, but I, I can't... I just think I have a philosophical breakdown in thinking about the leader of a... Again, a, of an organization that has government but powers that what, can't be that's fired. That's not what happened here. The CFPB director could have been fired. They chose not to yeah, fire. Well, I know, but I'm raising a different hypothetical. Oh. And I'm raising because I mean, I'm, I'm I'm challenging the point that there that there is an organization that could exist even if it was independent right. that has the powers of government. What organization that, is like that though? I think the SEC well, chair can be fired. By the right, way. that's what I'm saying. You know, inspector Danny's generals can be fired. One. Can they? Inspector generals can be fired oh, by the wow. president. Absolutely. Okay. Again, it just doesn't feel good when they do it. it well, there's, there's, it's there's not, not advisable. Day, right? There's a, there's a process. That, you know, they have to give a heads up to the hill. Well, there's they, a whole a, there's that. a whole thing. Some letters have to be sent to someone. It's a, it's not it's, in some it's days, not in the, the, you can you know if the president wanted to fire the secretary of agriculture or commerce or whatever that's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. If the president wants to fire an inspector general, it's a different process, but he still has the authority, or he or she still has the authority to do it. Mm-hmm. And all I'm just suggesting is, is that this notion of a purely independent organization is somewhat fundamentally flawed because I'm just painting the hypothetical scenario that if that individual screwed up in a variety of different ways, committed a felony, whatever it happened to be, that ultimately someone gets to fire them. And if there's no board to make that decision... Right. Um, I guess Congress could impeach and remove through Senate uh, enforcement. Uh, process? Yeah. Yeah. I but you would have to, it's a, it would actually, it would have to be an impeachable offense, although that's up to the Congress to decide what yeah. that is. Um, what's interesting is there are a couple of different levels here. There's the level you're going on, like, who are these people, right? And if they don't, I mean, maybe they technically report to the president, but, you know, where where is this uh, fourth kind branch of government come from? The one that sits between the executive and Congress, but isn't quite um, uh, isn't quite the judiciary, and that's an interesting question. Um, there's also this question about the financial regulatory structure in general, right? And the idea was that there was just so many different agencies that had been created to manage different parts of the financial system that what happened was the consumer needed a you know a, a bureaucratic gps to figure out who they should call if you know someone decided to mess with them on if their the toaster home blows line. up if the yeah. toaster blows up right. and so the idea was to take the little pieces of these seven agencies put it into one and say there's your consumer product safety commission for the most valuable consumer product that any consumer is ever going to buy which is their home mortgage or 
I guess not their auto loan. <laughs> their student you know, loan. Their student loan. Yeah. Or, and what I'm trying to peel back the onion layer on is what about the way this was set up drives the the concerns about wow. the organization. Right. And it seems to me that we're touching on yeah. a fair amount of ambiguity around the independence which of, is a live issue, Danny. I mean, yeah. that is, you know, it is a live issue, right? That's being, that will, all the questions you're asking, hopefully, will be, you know, like before a court and they will. And not just before that. a court. I'm suggesting that, that whatever the future of the CFPB is, um, whether they're going to revisit Dodd-Frank at some point, I mean, I don't know, you know, what the, what the potential plan is, because for right now the organization exists. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm raising potential questions that could be put in front of people to say, how do we how do we fix some of the issues that we're raising concerns, balanced against against these various public policy tensions? Like clearly, there's a desire to have some independence, but maybe maybe there's a better comfort level in terms of how that independence is structured. Right. Well, I I have a view on this. I'd I'd like to see if Nani agrees with it or not. I mean, I actually think that this is where the uh, gov actually agnosticism on operations runs into you know politics and I actually think the way CFPB was structured was driven entirely almost entirely by politics mostly partisan politics it was structured in an attempt to prevent what's happening to some extent now from happening there was a view that CFPB was not going to be popular with the people who were being regulated. That has actually borne out pretty quickly. And that it was going to, you know, someone's going to take a run at killing it the next chance they got. Oh, so, okay, that's interesting. Well, and I don't So yeah. the financing structure yep. with no appropriation, the leadership structure with no, with no board and with this ambiguous relationship to the president, the, um, you know, uh, even, you know, its its relationship to the other regulators was designed in such a way to try to build a moat around it so that when um, the, the politics changed, you would have uh, it would have a fighting chance. But you're survive. seeing we're seeing today some of the downsides of that strategy. Yeah, the leadership question is the downside. I, I want to just I mean, uh, I'll make a plug for for the agency as it exists now. Um, it has, through its enforcement actions over like a five-year period, returned about $12 billion to, to hundreds of millions of consumers. I mean, it, 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 it did take action against Wells Fargo for the terrible thing they were doing, which was setting up fake accounts and charging you a bunch of fees. I mean, that's, that's a bank with your information taking money from you, right? So yeah. that's like crazy down, right? <laughs> like I, we couldn't have made that up if there wasn't this whistleblower that told us about it, right? So I mean that 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 is why you know that's why they're there, and so um, I, I I do think there are are those uh, you know who who are elected who would like it to go away um, because they don't believe that it is providing value, but when surveys are done, you know two out of three people want to keep it. So I mean they yeah, see it as a good thing, right? And I think sometimes. So what happens, I don't know if it'll happen in this case, but I think it can happen and, and does often, is that when a new uh, administration takes over an organization, the leadership, and they previously had criticisms of it, once they get into the organization, deal directly with the civil servants, get up to f- more fully up to speed, yeah. 
there's certainly stuff they find that they need to change and redirect in their estimation. But they also can kind of see some of the goodness and have a clearer picture and then bring that message out to uh, a broader set of, of stakeholders in that party and hopefully land on a path that's constructive, not... Destructive. Not destructive right. or, um, in, uh, in this environment. And I think it's really interesting, I'll pivot, um, that, uh, that the president chose the director of OMB to take on this role. For one, I don't know how you do two jobs. Like, those are having, two really hard jobs. Those are two really yeah. hard jobs, yes. And I know that he said he's going to have to work you know, yeah, six or seven days hours. a week. Right. <laughs> I, I, Wasn't I, he doing I, that I already? He, yeah. he can't hold. Can he technically hold both positions? I, I also don't he, know the answer to that, because but, but he I, technically the, does. The reason why I was able to leave Treasury and go to GSA was I had two appointments, and I left one of them right, I don't want to, I don't want to like kind of tilt the legal case either way, but <laughs> no, I, I think, think I have a precedent. Because whatever you say. Because no, I have a, I yes, it. because I know the lawyers are listening to the, my every word. <laughs> but I held, among our I, I held both millions of uh, listeners. I held both positions simultaneously. I was the technically still the controller of OMB, which was the technical position I held right. um, that I was Senate confirmed for. Yeah. And I was the acting commissioner of the IRS at the same time. Oh, so I think the reason, that's why you were able to fill the position behind Dan, me. I think they want to give me some authority. And remember, we they had right. split the ASM-CFO anyways in terms yeah. of their pathway. So I had to, I left yeah. one of the... You left one back. Wait, because you guys are creating a, a historical point without letting the audience understand right. that. Sorry. When you went to GSA... When you went to GSA... inside joke, right? Nanny, Nanny <laughs> took yeah, over for you. I yes, did. Right. She became the CFO of She Treasury. became the CFO of Treasury. But she, you really got the job. And I... I did actually really so get the did job. So you, did, you resi- did you have to sign a resignation letter? No, I, I, you, I basically signed a thing saying I was no longer capable of discharging the duties see, of CFO. And just as a way, let me just be clear. It was actually, I think, the ASM that you left behind. Oh, maybe it was the ASM. Because... Um, ASM, at the assistant same time, secretary for assistant management. secretary for management, because the, the, the treasury, the assistant secretary for management and the CFO are the same position. However, Dan got two votes in the Senate. I did. One for the twice. assistant secretary of management, one for the CFO. How terrible would that have been? Yeah. <laughs> Batting 500. We're giving you one, but not the other. I didn't get two commissions, though. I just got one commission. You really should have gotten two. Well, minutes. that's because of the paperwork reduction. Exactly. That right. exactly. Also, where do you put them in the wall? It was you a know, savings. It's a thing. Right. See, well, I resigned my resignation letter to be to resign as the controller of OMB the day I left the IRS. Wow. Okay. Oh. Yeah, so that's actually how they I left government. They needed that authority to travel with you. I think there's something like yeah, to do with that. I you can't, you I can't was, resign I, for your resignation. So whoever was backfilling was acting and they couldn't actually fill the appointment until I until Do I they have resigned. the authorities of the controller? Like, do they yeah, they could delegate the authorities of the controller. So you I delegated was, yours. Exactly. Would you show back up occasionally and bark orders on the controller? <laughs> I, was, I was pretty busy at the IRS, uh, actually. Um, this is the, uh, back to the how. Okay, so there's the technical how do you hold the two jobs, but then there's the, just the practical how do you hold the two jobs. Yeah. Because that OMB job, that's like an eight day a week job, anyways, right? I, like, from, I don't. Maybe, I, I mean, from my vantage point, I, I view it as one of the hardest. Like an eight day a day job. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. one of the hardest jobs yeah. in government because. 
every issue is in your purview and some and comes way, through there it's yeah. including a the CFPB including yeah. the CFPB well yeah. ironically right he's right. one of the one of the you know things that he's doing comes before the other thing that he's doing yeah. right and the budget's going to come out in February and he's going to be on the hill and it's going to it's just it's, CFPB isn't in it he's going to eat his Wheaties every morning because it's going to be a tough tough right. road to, to, right. to hold down both of those jobs that effectively now it's possible that the that the president will nominate someone that could go through from, the process yeah. Yeah, relatively quickly sure. uh, we've seen that happen before you know some you know everyone hears about like the the nominee that takes forever but sometimes like especially in cabinet level appointments it happens really really quickly he could also move another senate confirmed person over that's another option yeah. if if it turns out that it's too much for you know two jobs too much for the one person so i would like to just add one more geeky this is your point. final thought it's a, it's a mild non sequitur but it relates to this bigger idea about the in the financial services sector how we had all these competing regulators one thing that dodd frank did and now that i've mentioned it maybe maybe that will someone will try to undo that as well is create something called the financial stabilization oversight council or mm-hmm. FSOC, FSOC, which is chaired by the secretary of treasury and the attempt was to bring all these quote-unquote independent agencies including the fed which isn't technically an agency around the table once a month to try to coordinate um once a month, once a quarter, on some regular basis, I don't think it specifies, to try to coordinate financial industry oversight and try to create some similarity and, and some unanimity and even some communication. It was striking yeah. how these folks, you know, in the lead up to the financial crisis, did not talk to each other because they valued their independence so much. Yeah. And so I actually think that as our world has gotten more complicated and more integrated, we need to look at the fundamental structure of our government and ask questions about how can we be more responsive, provide better oversight, and more be more accountable to get to your point about who appoints these people and who do they work for. And I think that, and I think there's some of the goodness in in that may may persist. I mean, that's what I think. I think it is very appropriate to revisit these these legislative programs, these new agencies, whether it's the Affordable Care Act, whether it's Dodd-Frank, I mean, who, who can argue with, with periodically assessing whether it's working or not and how to make it work better? And I think this kind of coordination is obviously a development that's very positive. But what, what, what I think we should all be open to is looking at areas for improvement. And it seems yeah. to me that, as we described, as in most situations, People like to live on the extremes. At Gov, actually, we like to live in the middle. So, right? At the extremes, it's like, it's the worst thing ever. It should be shut right. down tomorrow. And at the other extreme, is is like, it's monumentally the most important thing and, and, the, and the best thing that ever happened to consumers and the American people can't live without it. Somewhere in the middle is... Is, is, is a place to kind of analyze how do we perf- better perfect it going forward. And uh, hopefully this controversy, I'm a silver lining guy, as you know. You really are. Are you I, an optimist? I, I am a huge optimist. Totally, I'm a huge yeah. optimist. And so, is the other, and so is Dan, so it's the optimist yeah. show. He tends to be a little more pessimistic yeah, than cranky me. optimist. Cynic. Yeah, He's a little right. more cynical than I am. But I am, I am the eternal Realistic. optimist, and I feel like if, if there's a controversy and a tension and a legal battle – that, that we should aim to figure out what is the positive that can come out of that. And I think a look at what's working and what's not within this program is the right way to go. All right, Nani, will you come back? He's your, he's your, yeah. Anytime, you guys. So what's, really. your, what's your parting shot? Uh, 
I had like so many things I wanted to say about the stand-up of CFPB, but that's really not what we talked about. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna do my very favorite Tim Geithnerism. Go, Go for, for it. it. Yeah. Which is nothing to do with what we just talked about. Uh, but it's plan beats no plan. Right. Plan beats no plan. So so like if you ever find yourself uh, getting handed a job that you really don't know how to do, which is kind of like what happened when they said to me and like four other people, go go create this agency from nothing. Plan beats no plan. <laughs> Sit down, write something down. Uh, yeah, sorry. You have a plan, yeah. first of all, yeah. Well, yeah. I, you know, and I think you pointed out something really interesting in the beginning is this, this idea that as they were kind of beginning to say, hey, maybe we want a plane, they did actually come find us and, and ask us if we would help, yeah. you know, design what this plane looked like, what the structure would be. Someone and, had the wherewithal to say, hey, how might you snap it together? Right. kind of cool. Right, which was nice. And in a way, they let us go off into the into the kitchen and just start cooking. And then we started bringing stuff out. Like totally like, mixing your metaphors there. I know, I know, I know. Like, I don't like the taste we of that plane. We were in the plane shop. <laughs> <laughs> that plate is really Banging crunchy. <laughs> anyway, plan so, beats no plan. Yeah, plan beats so, no plan. So my yeah. parting shot is, the, you know, everyone has you know, across different administrations, like they were in the room when it happened for this or that. So, so... Nani, you were both in the room for when it happened with Dot Frank and CFPB. I was in the room when it happened for the Recovery Act. And fortunately, the Recovery Act doesn't exist anymore. So there's no... There's no you guys that, have to do something on the Recovery Act now. But, it, but no, yeah, there's nothing to criticize. Like, oh, it's gone. It's, all the money's been spent. I thought we don't do, we're optimists. We don't have to do criticism. I know. I'm just relieved I that my actually, big signature project that I got to work on <laughs> is really not going to be subject to any controversy because it doesn't exist anymore. I'm going to say something controversial. I thought it was incredibly well run. Oh. Yeah. Yes. And much of the credit goes to Ed, Ed Desev. Yeah. But who you should uh, have on your show. Who you should have on the show. Oh, my God. Right? Exactly. Yeah. All right. All right. This is the worst. Uh, this was the worst, most trailing ending we've ever had. That's okay. Sorry. I think we've gotten right. it up to an hour. Right now. All, right. All right. Well, until the next uh, big issue hits the U.S. government, we'll come back with a podcast that hopefully gives an interesting nonpartisan angle to it. Yeah. Thanks, All right. Guys. Thank you, Nani. Thanks for listening to GovActually. We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at us at GovActuallyPod, or you can write to Danny at Danny at GovActually.com, or to me at Dan at GovActually.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to GovActually Podcast on iTunes and write a review. That's how we get pushed up further and more people can hear about us. Thanks again.